0: Welcome to The Spirit Explodes with Roger Kirby. This is the first of our studies on Acts. So, Acts chapter 1, the first 14 verses, preparation for mission. The person who wrote Luke's Gospel also wrote this book with his account of the early apostolic church. Nearly everybody thinks the author of these scrolls was Luke, a doctor and a companion of Paul on his journeys for two reasons. First, the early tradition all points to Luke as the author, and there is no reason to doubt that. And secondly, Luke fits, as the Gospel writer shows good knowledge of medical conditions, and he was with Paul in Acts at the right times. Without doubt, he selected his material carefully. He did not record everything he could have done, but selected his material to convey a message. In these studies, we aim to work out what that message is and how it applies to us today. First, we're going to read the first three verses of this chapter 1.
1: In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering... He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God.
0: And now for a question about those verses. In the first four verses of his gospel, Luke said Question 1. What can we learn about Theophilus from these two sets of verses? What difference is there in the way Luke addresses him on these two occasions, and what can we deduce from that? As we did in our studies in Luke's Gospel, I will state the question, and then pause briefly for you to think about the answer, perhaps stopping the recording to do so. My answer is is this. It is likely that Theophilus was the patron of Luke, giving him the necessary money and status to work as a doctor. But there is a subtle change in the way Luke addresses him. He is much less formal in this statement in Acts than in the first one. Perhaps we would be right to guess that Theophilus had become a follower of Jesus by the time Luke wrote Acts and Luke felt much closer to him as a result. Question 2. What were the convincing proofs of verse 3? I'll give them away a wee bit by reading some passages. First of all, from John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Then from Luke's last chapter of his Gospel. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And Paul says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, For what I received I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And then further down the same chapter he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Why were these convincing proofs necessary? The resurrection appearances of Jesus were the foundation of, of all that happened that is recorded in Acts. The idea that all the dead would be resurrected at the end of the age was not strange to them. Uh, We read about that in Ezekiel chapter 37. In the intriguing story of the dry bones, we read, Therefore prophesy, and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. That is resurrection. The idea that one person would be resurrected ahead of everyone else was very strange, but it had happened and they were quite sure it was not a myth or a vision or a con. Now we read verses 4 to 14.
1: On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. ''Men of Galilee,'' they said, ''why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go, into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas son of James. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers.
0: Already in these first 14 verses we can see some of the main themes of this book, all of them important today. They are first the work of the Holy Spirit, important because there are many different views as to what role the Holy Spirit should have in the Church today. Second, the role of the Apostles, important because all authority is questioned these days, at least in the Western world. Third, the historical foundation of our faith, important because there are many people even including ministers and theologians, who do not believe in the resurrection. And fourth, the message that was preached, important because all sorts of different messages get preached today. It is worth noting that the world we live in today is amazingly similar to the world of Acts, in that both are very multicultural worlds. Question three. The Apostles were chosen and given the Spirit several years before the New Testament Scriptures were written. Because of this time priority, many churches, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, and in part the Anglican Church, claim that apostolic authority, transmitted down through the generations by apostolic succession, is more, or equally, important than the authority of Scripture. Why do we put Scripture first? We put Scripture first because it is the Word of God, unchanged and unchanging. Reliance on apostolic tradition implies that there has been a continuity of truth through the centuries. This is very doubtful. Some of those in the succession, the popes, have been very bad characters. Also, doctrines have been added to the faith that have no basis in the Scriptures and simply pander to human desires to have power and authority. They asked Jesus whether the kingdom was about to start. It was, and it wasn't. So he did not answer them. The political kingdom they were still half expecting was not starting. The kingdom of God, the kingdom which was a new way for man to live with man, had already started in the ministry and teaching of Jesus. The command to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth in the rest of Acts is the fulfilment of the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. There Abraham was promised a multitude of faith descendants, land, the presence of the Lord, and a clear purpose. Question 4. What is the significance of that for us? How can we take practical steps to those ends? Paul said, those who have faith are the children of Abraham. And that's us. The land is now the whole wide world. Paul said, Abraham was the heir of the world. So it is all ours. The unbroken presence of God is now ours through the work of the Holy Spirit. The purpose given to Abraham was that all the peoples of the world should be blessed. That is our purpose and task now we are part of the continuation of that challenging mission first given to Abraham. Question 5. When will this mission be completed? When Jesus returns, when he comes back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven, as we read. These verses find the apostles and first disciples Poised on the starting blocks waiting for the race to begin. They have to wait, to pray, to think out together the implications of all they have seen and heard as they journeyed with Jesus. The race will begin when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Waiting, praying, thinking together are still vital parts of the Christian life. We already have the Holy Spirit. It's time to up and run the race. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, .partakers www.partakers.co.uk, where every day there is something added to help you in your life as a Christian disciple. Thank you.